Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you want to read along in your Bibles, I'll be reading from the book of Jude. Jude is the next to the last book of the Bible. It's a very short book, only 25 verses, a little over 460 words. And because of its brevity, it is one of the most neglected books of the Bible. You can almost skip over it. In fact, you can skip over it without even knowing that Jude is there. We don't know much about Jude. He may have been the half-brother of Jesus. If he was, then he was also the brother of James, who wrote the letter of James and who was the pastor of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Today we're going to look at a problem that confronted Jude in which he found out, much to his surprise, that his plan and God's plan didn't agree with each other. And if you've ever had that occur in your own life where you had a plan only to find out that God's plan and your plan didn't agree, then Jude has something to say to you. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 in the book of Jude. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. It's amazing some of the unique ways that we come up with uh, trying to solve problems. Back in the 1930s, there was, an, uh, who is, uh, there was a, a pitcher for the New York Yankees. His name was Lefty Gomez. Lefty Gomez, of course, is, is deceased now. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. But he was a left-handed pitcher. He had a really unorthodox windup. And so people actually referred to him as Lefty Gomez, the irregular pitcher. But he dominated most hitters. During the 1930s, there was, there was hardly a batter who could come up and get anything close to a hit on Lefty Gomez. He owned almost every hitter. That is, except for Jimmy Fox. Jimmy Fox played for the Philadelphia Athletics, and whereas Lefty Gomez owned almost every other batter, Jimmy Fox owned Lefty Gomez. It seemed that every time Lefty Gomez faced Jimmy Fox, Jimmy Fox got some kind of hit. And more often than not, it was a multi-base hit, a double or a triple or a home run. And so one day, the Yankees were playing the Philadelphia Athletics, and Lefty Gomez was on the mound, and he was having a dominating performance, and Jimmy Fox came up to bat. And Bill Dickey was the New York Yankees catcher. And you know, you, if you've seen baseball, you know that the catcher squats down behind the batter and, and he'll give these hand signals, right? And so 
Bill Dickey gave a hand signal to Lefty Gomez, and Lefty is on the mound, and he shakes it off. And so Bill Dickey gives him a second sign, a second hand sign for a second type of pitch, and Lefty Gomez looks in, and he shakes it off. Bill Dickey gave a third sign, and again, Lefty Gomez shook it off. There was only one other pitch that Lefty Gomez pitched. He, he only had four different pitches in his arsenal, in his repertoire. And so Bill Dickey gave him the sign for that fourth and final pitch, and Lefty Gomez goes, mm-mm. So Bill Dickey called time, and he went out to the mound to Lefty, and he says, what pitch do you want to throw? And Lefty says, I don't want to throw any pitch, but if you and I can just stall long enough on the mound, maybe Jimmy Fox will get mad and go back to the dugout. Well, you can't do that in baseball. It was a plan that wouldn't work. And so Bill Dickey finally convinced Lefty he had to throw some pitch, and he went back to the behind the batter's, batter in the batter's box, and, and Lefty winds up and he throws a pitch, one pitch to Jimmy Fox, and Jimmy Fox hit that particular pitch over the fence. Sometimes our best laid plans simply don't work the way we want it. And, and that was the kind of thing that happened with Jude. Jude uh, approaches his letter. There was, there was something he wanted to do, and, and yet God had something else that he wanted Jude to do. So I want to walk us through the steps of what happened to Jude because this has happened to me and I would guess that it's happened to you. If you've been a Christian any length of time at all, you know the, you know the, the familiarity of having a plan only to find out that God's plan is different from your plan. So let's walk through what happens in these, in these two verses. First of all, I want you to note very simply, Jude had a plan. Jude had a plan. Verse 3. Dear friends, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. That was Jude's plan. Jude's plan was, I, want, I wanted to write to you. I want to write to you about what the King James says, our common salvation. Common being, it's the kind of salvation that all Christians share. If you have received Christ as your Savior, even though those different experiences may be different in the details, there are some fundamental commonalities between your salvation and your salvation and my salvation, our salvation. And Jude said, I wanted to write to you about the, the salvation we share. I don't know what it was he wanted to say about it. He may have been wanting to talk about what are the, the absolute rock bottom requirements for being a Christian. That may have been what he wanted to talk with him about. Or he may wanted, have wanted to talk with him about the fact that once you are saved, being a true Christian makes you want to do certain things for the Lord. He could have been wanting to talk about that. Jude had a plan, but the problem is he didn't get to carry out that plan. And so the second step in this thing that I want you to see is while Jude had a plan, God also had a plan. God had a plan. Now, let me just make uh, some points here. Jude had this plan that he wanted to talk with him about the salvation they shared. God probably, in fact, I'll say certainly, God agreed with Jude about what he wanted to say. God agreed with what he was going to say. But God had a different plan. You see, here's the point I'm wanting to make. You have a plan for your life, or you may have a plan for the next 
few days or weeks in your life, and your plan may be a very good plan. When we, when we often think about our plan being uh, opposed to God's plan, we normally think, well, uh, anybody who has this plan, they're going to, I'm going to go out next Saturday and I'm just going to get just, just shy of being passed out drunk and then I'm going to go have an immoral relationship uh, and then God changes that plan. Well, that'd be a bad plan. But the fact of the matter is a lot of times you have a good plan. It's a plan that, that when you read the Bible and you think about what God is like, it's a plan that appears to be one that God would agree with. And maybe he does agree with it, except for the fact it's not the one that he wants you to carry out right then and there. So Jude had a plan, and God had a plan, but more importantly, number three, Jude's plan and God's plan were not the same. Jude had a good plan. God didn't disagree with his plan, but it was not the plan God wanted him to carry out. Now, let's just stop right here for a moment and think, what would be the obvious, logical thing for Jude to do? When when you have a plan, let's say you have a plan for the next week, there are certain things you want to do this next week, you have a plan, you could even, it's so clear to you that you could write it down. And you have this plan, and it's a good plan. There's nothing unbiblical about it. There's nothing immoral about it. There's nothing unholy about it. You're not going to hurt anybody. In fact, what you'd do would be something that would help somebody. So you have this plan, but all of a sudden, you, you come to a realization. The realization is this. The good plan that you have for this week is different from the plan that God has for you this week. And so what is the obvious logical thing to do? Well, here's the obvious logical thing to do. Throw away my plan, no matter how good it was or is, and embrace God's plan, right? It's as simple as that, right? Hello? Except there's something I know about you. (laughs) You know what it is? You're stubborn. You are stubborn. Every one of you are stubborn. Now, I know some of you ladies say, it's my husband's family who are all the stubborn ones. And there are some husbands who are saying, it's my wife's family who are all the stubborn. No, no, we're all stubborn. There's something about which every single one of us doesn't want to budge. And when we have a good plan we want to carry out, and we, even when we find out that that good plan is at odds with, with God's plan, and even though we know that God knows better, there's something in us that goes against all logic. Because the most logical thing to do is to say, God, you always know better, therefore I'm going to immediately throw away my plan and embrace your plan. But the problem is, because of our human nature, because of our stubborn nature, we, even in the face of God, will think, I'm, I think I know better. Now, we're not going to say that. We're not going to say that, but that's what we're thinking. I think I know better, and I'm going to try to do what I want to do because my plan is good. And I know that God would agree with my plan in substance. So I'm going to carry out my plan, even though God is leading me in a different direction. You see, we go against all logic in human nature. There are certain things that logically we ought to do, but in reality, we don't do because of our human nature. So Jude had a plan, God had a plan, and Jude's plan and God's plan were not the same 
And Jude, against all logic, decides in his mind to go on with his own plan. And so, what does God do? This is the fourth part. God used Jude's circumstances to bring Jude over to God's plan. Now, what were the circumstances that God allowed? There was a church that Jude cared a lot about. We don't know the name of the church. Jude doesn't tell us the name of the church. But I can imagine this was a a small, certainly a Christian church, and they, they would sing, no doubt. They would read scripture, no doubt. They would pray. They would give offerings. They would have Lord's Supper. They would baptize. They would have preaching. They did all the things that a church would do in worship. They were serving people in the community like a church would do. But at some point, there were some false teachers, teachers who, who promoted a false doctrine, a false teaching, a false way of living, and they had come into the church, they had infiltrated the church. Jude says they had secretly slipped in, and they were spreading a very dangerous teaching. Now, we'll get to that teaching Uh, next week and the week after, but let's just suffice it to say right here, they were spreading a very dangerous teaching. Now, what could God have done? God could have stopped these people before they ever came to that church. Is God able to do that? Tell me. God could have let them come into the church and then made them uh, mute and unable to speak. Could God have done that? Hello? He could have. God could have not even let these people be born. Have you ever wondered why God lets, lets some people in history be born? It's okay to ask that. It really is. I will tell you that uh, uh, many times, well, not many times, but sometimes in, when, I, when I get alone and talk with God and I really am having a, an in-depth conversation with him, he's more in-depth than I am, of course. But I ask him, I said, God, wh- why did you let Adolf Hitler be born? Why, why didn't you just kind of snuff out Osama bin Laden in the delivery room? I know that sounds terrible, but hey, think about all the people whose lives would have been saved. Why did you let ISIS develop? Why did you let this chubby-faced guy named Kim Jong-un be born? And with a name like Kim Jong-un, right? Just think about how much better I think our world would be if those kind of people God had never allowed to be born. And yet he did allow them to be born. He even allowed them to do some pretty horrible things. Why would God do that? Now that's a, that's a whole lot. Trying to answer that question has a whole lot more calories than I have the strength to contend with. But let me just, let me just say this. God allowed a circumstance in, in the church that Jude cared about that prompted Jude to change his plan over to God's plan. He didn't want to, but he did. He wasn't going to, but God allowed a circumstance in that church that, that prompted Jude. In fact, he says, I, I, I was compelled to change my plan and adopt God's plan for me. Now with that, let me just come to my fifth and final point. If God used Jude's circumstances to bring Jude over to God's plan, then hear this, God will use your circumstances to bring you and me over to his plan. 
Some of you, and I would say probably a majority of you right now, you're going through something, maybe nobody else even knows about it, or maybe there's just a few people who know about it, but you're going through a circumstance in your life, and you would rather that circumstance had not developed, but it has developed. And because of it, you're having to modify your life or either you're going to run into some real, real trouble. When I talk about circumstances, God using circumstances, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the problems we face in life. I'm talking about the pressures we encounter in life. I'm talking about the heartaches, the difficulties, the everyday stress of life, the suffering that comes as a result of us being human beings. I realize that not every day is that way. We have some very happy days. We have some ecstatic days. But there are times when suffering and discouragement and depression and heartache and health problems and marriage problems and kids problems and work problems, they surface and we wonder how in the world, God, why did you let this happen? And God has some purpose for allowing this into your life. And it could very well be that he has allowed an adverse circumstance in your life so that he will finally convince you to change your plan. And God knows that short of overriding your free will, which God does not like to do, by the way, short of overriding your free will, the only way he could get you to change your mind is to, is to place some circumstances in your path that force you to act a different way. C.S. Lewis wrote one day, he said, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but God shouts to us in our pain. Do you hear that? God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain, suffering, adversity, difficulty. They are circumstances God allows. Sometimes he directly plants them. It doesn't really matter. He plants them in your way in order for you to realize that this plan that you have that might be a good plan is not God's plan. And God's plan is always going to be better than even your good plan. James, who may have been Jude's brother, said this in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. He said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because know this, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, but perseverance must finish her work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The apostle Paul in his second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 11, beginning with verse 24, he, re- he recounts many of the difficult circumstances he faced while he was in the ministry. And here's, here's what he said, beginning with verse 24. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a whole night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've known thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. And then he goes on to say that all of those circumstances God used to help me become more mature in my walk with Christ. When I was a little boy, my dad bought a ski boat. It was a Cobia ski boat. It had a Mercury engine on the back. It was a white boat with a black engine. <laughs> my dad loved to ski. We lived close to Lake Lanier, and so uh, we loved to go out to the lake, and, and my dad loved to ski. He tried to teach me to ski, but my dad, my dad loved to drive the boat fast. And uh, every time that I would get behind the boat with the skis and the rope and he was driving the boat, uh, dad had a tendency not to ease up on the gas. He just put it almost, almost wide open. And every time he'd try to teach me how to ski, he pulled me out of my skis. And then he'd realize it about 15 minutes later while I was sitting there, you know, just running out in those skis. <laughs> One time we were in that boat there were four of us, mom, dad, my brother, and I. My brother and I were in the front of the boat. There was, as dad was steering the boat, there was his, his seat and the steering wheel, another seat, and then and there were windows, windshield in front of those seats. But in the middle of them, there was a path. You could open a little, a little gate, and you could go up, and, and people could sit in the front of the, the ship, which is where my brother and I loved to sit while dad would drive the boat. And we were riding on the lake one day. We were going about 45, 50 miles per hour. Now, if you know anything about a boat on a lake, 45 to 50 miles per hour is moving on for a boat. It's not for a car, but it is for a boat. And we'd been riding on the lake at about that speed for about 10, 15 minutes when all of a sudden that boat, the engine went dead. I mean, it just died. The boat just immediately stopped. The, the front of the boat almost dipped into the water. It, it stopped so suddenly. There was plenty of gas in the boat. There was plenty of oil in the oil chamber. The spark plug was fine. We never found any logical reason why that boat stopped. Dad went back and he tried to tinker with the boat motor and he tried to crank it, it wouldn't crank, it wouldn't crank, it wouldn't crank. And he, he got really irritated. And, and, and so he goes up to the front of the boat where my brother and I are seated. And he's looking at the front of the boat to see if maybe there's something up there that might have prompted the boat motor to go dead. And six, about six feet out in front of us, in front of the front port of that boat, there was a stump about this big around and it was the top of it was was that far under the water if we had hit that stump it would not have been good the boat engine slammed shut six feet 
in front of that stump that we would have never seen because the top of it was under the surface of the water. When my dad saw it and finally caught a breath between his rapid heartbeats, he went back to the steering wheel and he got, a, he got out a paddle. And on the side of the boat, he started paddling the boat sideways to the right away from the stump. He put the paddle back in the boat. And when he went to hit the ignition, that boat motor cranked right up. You have a plan, do you? Make sure that your plan and God's plan agree. And if it doesn't agree, drop your plans and embrace God's plan. But I know you're not going to do that because like me, you're stubborn as all get out. And so what's going to happen next is God is going to place some stumps, some circumstances in your way. And he's doing it not to hurt you, but to redirect you to his plan, which is always better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're such quote unquote wise people, aren't we? Got our own plans. We've thought about them, Lord. Lord, you know I've got this. I've thought about it. I've done all the research I know, I know. And yet you say, well, I I know that you've researched it and your plan is, is not a bad plan, it's a good plan, but it's not the plan I want to give you. Yeah, but Lord, God, how often we make out like we know more than you do when we know absolutely nothing. Lord, help us to discern when there's a difference between our plan and your plan and help us with the wisdom to drop our plan, embrace your plan. And if we won't do that, Lord, help us to see clearly the circumstances that are in our way, in our paths, are there to change our direction. Lord, in this congregation, there has to be people who have never received Jesus as their Savior. And Lord, I pray that those who are here who've never received you as Savior will come to the front and invite you, ask you to come into their hearts to save them. Lord, indeed, there must be people in this building who are looking for a church home. Lord, I pray that you'd lead them here. Certainly, Lord, there are people who simply need to come to the altar to pray over something that's just between you and them. And I pray that you'd lead them here. Certainly, Lord, there are people who, in their heart, they want to come to the front just to worship. They don't have a problem. They just want to worship. And I pray that they would. Lord, let this invitation time right now be a time, not when we get together for lunch, get all our stuff together, but Lord, let it be a time when we encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen.